Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. As Rachel said, my name is Greg Coble. I'm the campus pastor over at the Franklin campus, and it is a real privilege to be here with you this morning. This is a really special weekend. It's very unique. I don't know if you realize how unique it is. You see, on one day, on Saturday, we get to end a week, and we get to end a year. And then Sunday, we wake up, and we get to start a week, and we get to start a new year. We get to say goodbye to 2016, hello to 2017. It's pretty exciting. This time of the year, we all start thinking about New Year's resolutions, like we saw in the video. You know, I wanted to have the best New Year's resolution ever. And so I decided I would do a little bit of research to figure out how to really make a great New Year's resolution. So I went to the internet. That can be a little dangerous sometimes. But I did find some interesting things that I want to share with you this morning. Well, the first thing that I found was that in the last three years, 2014, 15, and 16, the top five New Year's resolutions have been the same. I'm going to share those with you this morning. Maybe you will find some that have been on your list, or maybe there are some that are on your list, or maybe some should be on your list. The top one, number one, is lose weight. That one's been on my list. How about yours? I'm not judging you. It's between you and God. I got nothing to do with that. Number two, live a healthier lifestyle. Get in shape. Get fit. Reminds me, a few years ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine, and we were talking about getting fit for the new year. Our buddy's a fireman. He had just moved into a new firehouse. And I said, I bet they've got some great new equipment at the new firehouse. And he said, yeah, but it's all the way upstairs. <laughs> and that's what I did. I kind of chuckled a little bit, and I said, no, really, what, what do they have? What kind, of, what kind of equipment do they have? And he got real serious, and he looked at me in the eye, and he said, what don't you understand about upstairs? He was committed to not going up the stairs, I think. Number three is save more, spend less. Save more, spend less. Now, if this were the opposite, if it were spend more, save less, we'd be like, nailed it. It's New Year's resolution stuff. It's easy, but it's no, it's save more, spend less. Get control of your finances. That one's been on my list before as well. Number four, spend more time with those we love. Spend more time with our friends and family. You know, sometimes we get wrapped up in less important things and we fill our calendars with things that are just not quite as important as the relationships that we have with people. And then number five, bringing up the top five, the bottom of the top five, enjoy life. Just enjoy life more. Now, those are great New Year's resolutions. They are. And I think that's one of the reasons that they stay in the top five year after year after year. But I really sincerely don't believe that's the main reason that these are the top five New Year's resolutions three years in a row. See, my theory is the reason they're the top five is because nobody does them. Nobody does them. I mean, I know I don't. I have the same New Year's resolution every year. It's a new year, but it's the same resolution. Lose weight, get in shape. My buddy who avoids the stairs, he says, hey, round is a shape. You should be in good shape. You see, I, I think that there is uh, a reason why nobody keeps these New Year's resolutions. They're hard. I, I, I wanted to find out a little bit about my theory. So I, again, went to the internet and I found this one research study that said only 8% of the people who create New Year's resolutions actually are successful at keeping them. Only 8%. What that means is 92% of us who take the time to create a New Year's resolution are going to fail. 92%. That left me wondering, why in the world are we doing it anyway? How did this all begin? Where did it start? So back to the internet. 
What I found was this tradition began in 153 B.C. The New Year's resolution tradition is almost 2,200 years old. It started with the Romans. You see, they had this mythological character. His name was Janus. Here's a picture of Janus. J-A-N-U-S. It's where we get our word January. Uh, Janus was believed to have two faces. He had one face that went to face the future, faced forward, so he was able to see the future. He had one face that was backward, and he was able to see the past. And so to honor Janus, the Romans would actually get to the end of the year, and they would look back into the previous year. They would look at the good, the bad, the right, the wrong, the successes and the failures. They would try to understand that the best they could so that they could devise a plan that would help them move into the new year and create a better future. And that's the history of the New Year's resolution. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You see, I think the Romans were onto something. I think there's, there was something that, that was very powerful inside that idea that maybe we've lost in society today. You see, I think the Romans had a very powerful principle that's been lost. And I wrote it in your notes. I put it in your notes this week because if you forget everything else that you hear today, I want you to remember this one thing, and it's this powerful principle that's been lost. You will be more successful moving forward if you take the time to look back. You'll be more successful moving forward if you take the time to look back. You see, I think what the Romans understood was you had to understand the past you had to understand the good and the bad. You had to understand the right and the wrong. You had to understand the successes and the failures. Because both of those things, the opposite sides of the coin, would teach you two different lessons. Too many times we get to the end of a year and maybe it's been a rough one and we say, we're so, we're so ready for the old year to be finished and so ready for a new, fresh start of the new year. We just want to leave all of our troubles behind us and move on. The last few months, I've been talking with someone whose marriage has just completely fallen apart. I've been talking with someone who's fighting a drug addiction, and some days they win, some days they lose. I've been talking with someone whose financial life is just in shambles right now. So I understand how painful it is to look back at the past and see the bad choices and the mistakes and the failures, the, the goals that you set and didn't accomplish. I get that. But listen, what the Romans understood was, if I can look back at my mistakes, if I can look back at the bad choices and the failures, then I can understand what's holding me back. And once I understand what's holding me back, I can understand what kind of adjustments need to be made so that I can devise a plan to move forward and be more successful at accomplishing my goals. See, that's, that's the power of reflection. About 300 years before the first New Year's resolution was ever spoken, there was a, a, a guy named King Solomon. And King Solomon wanted to uh, instruct his son in all the ways of wisdom. So he began to write down some things for his son. It's in the Bible now. We call it the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon addresses this idea of understanding the past. In Proverbs 18.2, King Solomon wrote this, fools have no interest in understanding. 
Fools don't care what's holding them back. Fools don't care to understand what the past can teach them. They don't care to understand what changes are necessary to move forward and be more successful. Fools have no interest in understanding. And then in contrast, he says, but joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. He says, you want to have a joyful life? You want to have a life filled with joy? Take the time to understand. Take the time to understand what's holding you back. Take the time to understand what changes need to be made. Because what happens is when you take the time to understand, there's something miraculous that happens and you gain wisdom. King Solomon puts those hand in hand, understanding and wisdom. You see, what the Romans tell us in their longstanding tradition is that uh, looking back, we gain understanding. And what King Solomon tells us is that when we begin to understand, we gain wisdom. So I think we can make this correlation. Looking back gives us wisdom. Looking back gives you wisdom. Now again, it's, it's not easy. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we feel guilty or we feel shameful. But the great innovator Henry Ford said this about mistakes, and I want you to hear this today too. He said, the only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. The only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. It's the one that we ignore. It's the one we want to walk away from. It's the one we just want to leave behind us and move on. See, Henry Ford knew that you'd be more successful moving forward if you take the time to look back at your mistakes. King Solomon, he also wrote this in the book of Proverbs. When it comes to wisdom and understanding, he wrote, Wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And they even brag about their foolishness. I wonder what wise people think about. What do wise people think about before they act? I think it's possible that they think about three things. They ask themselves three questions. The first question they ask themselves is, how did this go the last time I tried it? Did it make me better or did it make me worse? I think the second question they ask themselves is, when I tried this before, where did it go wrong? What caused me to stumble or to struggle when I tried this before? And then the third question they ask themselves is, where do I see faulty patterns? In other words, what do I do over and over again expecting different results? I think that's what wise people ask themselves. Now Solomon says, fools don't ask themselves those questions. Fools fools don't think before they act. And they even brag about their foolishness. You know, that part of the verse reminds me of growing up. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I refer to it as God's country. And after the big win over IU yesterday, I think you might agree with me. (laughs) Go Cards. But see, growing up in Louisville, I, I began to understand that I needed to listen for two particular phrases. There were two particular phrases that would pay off if I would just pay attention to those things. One of those phrases was this, anytime I heard my mom say, supper's ready, man, when she said supper's ready, I knew that I needed to perk my ears up, I needed to change my attention, drop whatever I was doing, and get to the supper table, because something good was about to happen. Now, that has absolutely nothing to do with today's talk, I just thought it might help you understand my current condition. (laughs) The phrase that makes me think about this verse, or this verse makes me think about, is, uh, is this phrase right here. It was when I heard one of my friends say, hey, y'all, watch this. 
Hey, y'all, watch this. You know what I knew when I heard that phrase? First of all, nobody had thought it through. Nobody was thinking before they acted. Nobody. When I heard, hey, y'all, watch this, what I knew was somebody was about to eat something or drink something or jump over something or crawl into something or run into something. Somebody was going to do something and I needed to perk my ears up. I needed to focus my attention on them because it could be epic. A few years ago, I went to my 30-year class reunion, my high school reunion, 30 years And a lot of the conversation that night with my old friends hinged around some of those, hey, y'all, watch this moments. And what I learned was that even 30 years later, sometimes fools brag about their foolishness. You know, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he wrote the book of Ephesians. He was writing to a church in Ephesus. And he was writing to some, hey, y'all, watch this Christians. And he starts the chapter five by saying, I want you to think about the way life used to be. Think about the choices you used to make. Think about the consequences that used to come with those choices. Think about how it used to feel. And then he wraps it up. He says, in light of all of this, he writes verse 15. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. And then he goes on to say, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He says, don't live carelessly. Don't live unthinkingly. You see, the Apostle Paul was saying to these Ephesians, to this church in Ephesus, he was saying, you'll be more successful moving forward if you take the time to look back. Remember the mistakes you used to make. And you'll have some wisdom. He was saying the same thing that King Solomon said. He was saying the same thing that the Romans said. You know, my wife Catherine and I, we, we have a great opportunity to lead the Financial Peace University groups here at, uh, here at Emmanuel. And one of the things that we've learned is that uh, looking back not only causes us to look back at our mistakes, but when we look back, we can also see where we've had some small wins. Where, we, where we've made some accomplishments. Because when we teach the Financial Peace University class here at Emmanuel, we'll have people who come up after and talk about some of the small wins that they've accomplished. We'll have somebody come up to us and, and say that they're incredibly excited because they just paid off their smallest debt. Maybe it's a car loan or a personal loan. And they're excited about it. We celebrate with them. Or we have somebody come up to us and say they finally started living on a budget. They finally feel like they've got some control over their money. They they know where their money's going instead of wondering where it went. Or maybe a couple who's taking the class together, they'll come to us and they'll say, we're finally having healthy conversations about money. No more money fights because we're on the same page and we're moving in the same direction. And what we know and the reason we celebrate with those people, the reason we're so excited with them is because we know they're recognizing small wins small successes in their lives. They're taking the time to look back and see those small wins. And what we know is that when they celebrate the small wins, it creates some momentum. And that momentum will carry them day after day, week after week, month after month, until finally they are completely debt-free. They've eliminated all of their debt. We love that. We love it when people look back 
and see where they've been successful. I recently had a young lady come to me after a service at Franklin and she said, Greg, I just want to let you know, I have committed to tithing and to giving to the multi-site vision campaign to help build the Franklin campus. And she said, I, I want to tell you about a conversation I had with God. She said, I, I-, I told God, God, I'm, I'm going to commit to this, but you know that I live on a tight budget. And the amount of money that I'm committing to give is the same amount of income that I get from two clients. So God, just give me two more clients to replace that income, just two more. And she said that very week, she received one phone call from one person asking her to take on two new clients. And she said with a great big smile on her face, God has been so faithful. You see, when we look back, we not only see our mistakes, but we can see some small wins and we can see where God has been faithful. And when we see those things, when we see the small wins and we see God's faithfulness, it gives us confidence and courage to step into bigger things. You see, looking back gives us courage. Looking back gives you courage. There's a story that I'm sure you've all heard. It's about David and Goliath. It's not a new story. David is this little shepherd boy. He goes down to the battlefield to see his brothers. When he gets there, he sees this great big giant, this Philistine warrior who's standing in the middle of the battlefield, and he's mocking the army of Israel. And David says, I've had enough. I can't take it any longer. And he goes to the king, and he says, King, I'm going to go out and fight the giant. And the king says, you can't do that. You're just a little boy. And David says, you don't know this about me, king, but I have been watching my family's sheep. And I've been in charge of them. And occasionally, out of the woods will come a lion or a bear, and they'll snatch one of those sheep. And it's my responsibility to go and run after that lion or that bear. And I do, and I grab it by the jaw, and I I pull on the jaw, and I release the sheep. And he said, this is what I know. And he told this to King Saul in 1 Samuel 17. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will surely rescue me from this Philistine. You see, David was able to step out on that battlefield with confidence and courage because he could look back and see where God had been faithful in the small things. When he saw where God had been faithful in the small things, David was willing to step into the giant things. I mean, literally step into the giant things because looking back gives you courage. And you'll have more success moving forward if you take the time to look back and see God's faithfulness. There's an incredible story of God's faithfulness in the book of Joshua and and just understanding and and seeing God's faithfulness. In the book of Joshua chapter 4, Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. They can see it. It's in the distance. They can see it. They're almost there. But they get to the bank of the Jordan River, and they arrive there during harvest time. It's the time when the Jordan River is at flood stage. It's about a mile wide, and it is rushing through. Joshua instructs all of the people to come to the riverbank, and he asks the priests to step into the water first and to lead the children of Israel through. And when the priests step in the water, God miraculously shows up, and he pushes back the water, and the children of Israel are able to walk through the dry riverbed, and get to the other side into the promised land, all 600,000 of them. 
And when they get to the other side, Joshua instructs 12 men to go back into the riverbed and grab some large stones and to bring them back to the side of the promised land and to stack them up and to create a memorial, a monument to God's faithfulness. And Joshua says this in uh, in Joshua chapter 4, he says, someday your children will ask, why are these rocks here? Then you can tell them how the water stopped flowing today. He goes on to say, these rocks will remind our people of what happened here today. He said, when you stack these rocks up, they're going to be a reminder. They're going to remind you of God's provision and his power and his faithfulness in your life today. You see, Joshua wanted to be sure that the people of Israel would remember where God was faithful. Have you ever had anybody in your life remind you of God's faithfulness to you? It's a powerful thing when someone else can recognize the way God is working in your life and help you see it yourself. I recently had that happen. A few weeks ago, uh, we had a Christmas party for the staff here at church. And one of the parts of the the party was uh, an awards presentation. And these awards were uh, awards that were chosen by the staff. There were nominations for for categories, and and the staff actually chose the winner of that award. So these were uh, peer-recognized awards, peer recognition. And they were great. One of the categories, uh, one of the awards given was the staff person most likely to cry at staff meeting. <laughs> now, our, our staff meetings are not, they're not rough, they're not critical, they're, they're not, they're great, they're times of celebration. Uh, we talk about life change and what's happening in our ministries. Uh, but Rachel Long, the executive, minist- uh, executive director of family ministries, has a very tender heart. I do not. So Rachel won that category hands down. I was not even in that category. (laughs) Another category that uh, was given, uh, an award that was given that night was uh, the staff member who made the best midlife crisis purchase. The best midlife crisis purchase. I didn't win that one either. Our other campus pastor, uh, Bill Miller, won that one. You see, Banta Bill just recently bought... A Dodge Challenger, an orange Dodge Challenger. Here's a picture of Bill with his new car, his award-winning car. (laughs) Now, Bill has since put white racing stripes down the hood, no lie. See, Bill won that award hands down. I wasn't even in that category because the car I got this past year used to be owned by a 76-year-old lady. That's the truth. So I didn't win that award either, but I did win this award. And again, this is an award that was given to me by my peers. My peers recognized God working in me when they handed me this award. And this award, it's engraved, and it says, staff member most likely to become senior pastor. No, it doesn't say that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I wish it did, because if it said that, can you imagine what it would be like if it said that? Can you imagine the confidence that I would have had as I put this talk together and got ready to share my heart with you? Can you imagine how much confidence I would have standing here in the middle of this platform where where our senior pastor, Danny Anderson, normally stands? I mean, these are big shoes to fill, both literally and figuratively. (laughs) Can you imagine how much my faith would grow every time I looked over on my shelf and I saw this little trophy standing there? You see, what it really says is, 
Person most likely to be gunning for, Jan- for Danny's job. Person most likely to be gunning for Danny's job. Are you kidding me? That is so not true, which is what makes it so funny. Danny's job is safe. This is hard. I don't mind doing it occasionally. It's kind of fun, but his job is safe for now. <laughs> you see, it's neat when someone looks into your life, they can see God's faithfulness in you. And they can remind you of that. It's great, and it's a great experience, but it's even more powerful when you can recognize God's faithfulness for yourself. Our family ministries team recently did this. At the beginning of 2016, they went out and they collected 12 stones, just like Joshua did. Stones about this size. 12 stones, one to represent every month of 2016. This is the stone for January. And what they decided to do with these stones is just to record, to mark down every time God was faithful to them in their personal lives and their ministry. This rock is kind of neat because in January 2016, it says right here, Franklin Parent Meeting. And I happen to know what that means. Uh, It was the first time that our family ministries team got together with all of the middle school and high school parents at the Franklin campus, brand new Franklin campus to cast vision for what the student ministry would look like. And it was a very powerful time for both the family ministries team and for the parents of those students. This is the rock for July. And this rock has the the name of one of our new staff members. It was a staff member who was hired in the summer to fill a critical role on the family ministries team. And so when they look back at this rock from July, they can see how God was faithful in bringing the right person at the right time. See, as the family ministries team prepares for 2017, they're going to have lots of confidence and courage because they can look in their office and they can see 12 rocks that are full of times that God was faithful to them. So they'll be able to look to be more successful moving forward because they can easily look back and see where God was faithful. Have you ever thought about collecting rocks yourself? Have you ever thought about collecting rocks so that you can uh, have representation of where God showed up in your life? Maybe it's not big rocks like this. Maybe it's smaller rocks like this one. Maybe you have rocks and you have a basket and you have a Sharpie. And every time God shows up, you just write that down on this little rock. Recently, One of the ladies in my small group was telling us that she had received an unexpected raise and that she really felt God's faithfulness in that. So maybe you just write raise on the rock and you throw it in the basket. Or maybe it's not rocks at all. Maybe it's a sheet of paper. Maybe it's something like this, a sheet of paper in a jar. And every time God shows up, you just write down what happened. Uh, Just like the story I shared with you earlier, maybe you write down new clients. And you fold the paper and add that to your jar. And maybe it's not rocks in a basket or uh, slips of paper in a jar. Maybe it's just something as simple as a journal. Maybe every time God shows up, you just put a new entry in your journal. There's a young couple uh, that attend the Franklin campus, and they're going through an adoption process right now. And they came to service several weeks ago talking about how faithful God had been as a Uh, put them together with someone in their small group who has just finished the adoption process. 
How much courage do you think that young couple would have if they would write, those name, the write, write the names down of their leaders and the story about how God had placed them together with someone who can help them walk through this, this, this scary process of adoption? How much courage do you think that young family would have as they went through that adoption process? How do you think your, your faith would grow if at the end of the year you had a basket full of rocks or a jar full of papers or page after page, entry after entry of where God had been faithful to you? How do you think your faith would grow? What would it look like at the, the end of 2017 with all of those things in place? I, I think I can tell you. I think it would look like God's work in your life that helped you be more successful moving forward because you could easily look back and see where God had been faithful. You see, that's the power of reflection. When we're able to take the time to look back, see our mistakes, see our failures, and gain wisdom. When we're able to look back and See all of the times that God has been faithful and gained courage. That's the power of reflection. Here's a question I want to ask you as we begin a new year. What could you do this year in 2017 with more wisdom and more courage? What could you do this year with more wisdom and more courage? Could you finally lose that weight? Could you finally get in shape? finally get your finances under control? Could you finally write that book, Danny? What could you do with more wisdom and more, more courage? Listen, give yourselves a chance this year, guys. Give yourselves a chance to have the best year ever. I promise you, I promise you, if you look back, you'll be more successful moving forward because you take the time to look back. Now, some of you may be here today and you may be thinking, I've never even seen God's faithfulness. But I've got plenty of mistakes piled up in the past. Here's the good news. God's faithfulness does not depend on us. God's faithfulness doesn't depend on us being good people. It doesn't depend on us saying the right things or doing the right things. God's faithfulness is shown in his, in his love toward us. The Apostle Paul also wrote Romans 5.8. He said, God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, while people were still making faulty choices with faulty patterns in their life, while they were still afraid to step into new environments and new challenges, God sent Jesus into the world to pay a debt for our sin. God loved us so much that he would send his only son to die in our place and pay the penalty for the bad choices that we make. So if you'd like to, to understand what it takes to have a relationship with God, to begin to recognize his faithfulness in your life, all you need to do is take a small step of faith. You need to recognize and acknowledge that God is who he said he is. And that Jesus came to pay a debt we couldn't pay on our own. 
And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now if you'll uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, you want to begin a relationship with God, we're told that if we take this small step of faith, what happens is God comes running to us with his arms open wide, just like a father would when a son returns after he's wandered off. So listen, just have a, a moment right now as, as I say this simple little prayer, you can repeat it after me. Have a moment between you and God just in the quietness of your own heart. And just repeat this simple prayer after me and mean it in your heart and in your soul. Just say, God, thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sin. The best I know how right now, I give you my heart, I give you my life. I ask you to come into me to make me a new person. God, I don't understand everything there is to know about faith, but I'm taking a small step of faith toward you right now by acknowledging that you are who you said you are. God, I pray that you will bring people into my life to help me understand that more. I pray that you will give me the courage to step into new environments to help me understand that more. And God, most of all, I just thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Now listen, if you pray that prayer, the first thing we wanna do this morning is celebrate. We wanna celebrate what God is doing here at Emmanuel. Secondly, if you prayed that prayer, we have something that we want you to, to take with you before you leave us today. It's a one-year New Testament. And this little book is broken down into five-minute readings so that in one year, if you spend five minutes a day, you can read through the entire New Testament. You can read the teachings of Paul. You can read the, the stories of the people who lived a life with Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. And this is a book that will help you understand what it's like to become a child of God. And we want to put one of these in your hands. All you have to do is step back to the tables in the back of the auditorium, tell the folks that you prayed the prayer with us this morning, and they'll put one of these in your hands. And you can start understanding that new identity in Christ that you have uh, as a result of that prayer this morning. Listen, guys, I hope that this year will be the best year ever. I hope that you'll take the time to look back so that you can have more success moving forward. I hope that you end this year with more wisdom and more courage because of the steps you take. Let's pray we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. Help us, Father, to step into 2017 with more wisdom and more courage because we're willing to look back on our mistakes, to learn from them, we're eager to look back and see where you've been faithful. Father, help us to understand those things in a way that allows us to represent you well and to attract other people to you because of it. Help us more than anything, Father, to glorify you in all we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here, guys. Come back next week and bring a friend. <laughs>